Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is this that smote you? And many other blasphemously spake they against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. And Jesus said, Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. They said, Art thou then the Son of God? That's right, you say that I am. And they said, What further need have we of witnesses? Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Unchanging Word Bible broadcast is in Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 71, and we will finish out this chapter. Having given us Peter and his denials of our Lord, Luke now presents Jesus in the custody of the temple guards. They mocked Jesus, they beat him, saying many blasphemous things about him. And when morning came, the rulers gathered together to question Jesus as to his identity. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Well, Dr. Mitchell emphasizes the fact that the question before these Jewish leaders had to do with the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? What does he say about himself? It is noteworthy that when these asked Jesus the question, are you the Son of God? Jesus treated their words as stating the truth of the fact behind the question. Jesus answers, You said, I am. Here's Dr. Mitchell, Luke chapter 22, verse 63. We come now in chapter 22 to the beginning of the crucifixion of our Savior, his trial and his death, his burial and his resurrection. For those of you who have not been listening in, may I say we've been studying the whole gospel through Luke, where we have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ as the sinner's Savior. He's the one who delivers us from the power of death, from the powers of hell, and from the penalty, guilt, and power of sin. He's a real, real Savior. He's a perfect Savior. He's an eternal Savior. And to me, it's an astounding thing that so many people who have heard of the Lord Jesus Christ through years have never, have never put their trust in him. Many religious folk, many wonderful, moral, well-meaning people have turned their back on the Savior. They fail to realize that one cannot 
come in the presence of God without their relationship to the Son of God. And the whole gospel through John is filled with this concern of relationship to the Savior. And in Luke's gospel, we have the revelation of our Savior as the one who really loves men and women. Oh, the tenderness and the compassion of our Savior for men and women. As Romans 5, 8 says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has made the provision. And as we take up the historical facts of it in these passages, uh, I want to bring to you truths as we go along in the passage. And I want you to fall in love with the Savior. This is my great yearning for God's people, especially to fall in love with the one whom they claim to trust. And believe me, my friend, he's worth loving. And if you think you're amazed that you, God should save you, the more amazing thing is that God should love you at all. It's not amazing that we should love the Savior. The amazing thing is he should love us. And as the epistle of John says, we love him because he first loved us. Now we're in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. And we're starting at verse, at verse 63. And we're dealing now, uh, still dealing with the betrayal and death of our Lord. And we come now to his trial, the trial of our Savior. And in verses uh, 63 down to 65, we see the mockery uh, of how they mocked our Savior. And it's a tremendous picture of the human heart. Let me read it to you. And the man which held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is this that smote you? And many other blasphemously spake they against him. Many other things did they blasphemously say against him. You know, I'm reminded of that verse in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and he despised the shame and was set down at the right hand of God. Do you ever start to think, once they took Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was, there was nothing too bad or too vile that they would do to him. These soldiers, more than likely, these were the leaders of Israel. They took him, they mocked Jesus, they smote him, they blindfolded him, they struck him in the face and said, prophesy. Who is it that smote thee? I'm reminded of 1 Peter chapter 2. We read, Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but left all things to him who judgeth righteously. Do you ever stop to think of it? He left us an example that we should walk in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but left all things to him who judgeth righteously. You know, the, the natural thing for us is to retaliate. If a person smites you, the moment he smites you, you're, before you think of it, you want to hit him back. This is true with children. He's not going to hit me. He's not going to kick me, or whatever it may be. Even we who are up in years, it's so easy when someone says something about us, we retaliate. 
or do something against us, we retaliate. Jesus left us an example that we should follow him in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but left all things to him who judgeth righteously. I'm quoting 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. You know, I can't help but wonder the patience of the Lord. Here is the Holy Son of God being taken. He's bound. He's blindfolded. They spit on him. They mock him. They smite him on the face. Just think of somebody smiting the Lord Jesus, the one who cleansed the lepers, the one who raised the dead, the one who fed the hungry, the one who opened blind eyes, the one who was the friend of publicans and sinners. To smite the Son of God. Oh, the the depths to which the human heart will go in its opposition to God. You see, I've oftentimes said in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, Cain slew Abel. You see, Cain was not mad at Abel. Cain was mad at God. But he couldn't kill God, so he killed God's man. You know, before you and I were Christians, men men didn't manifest any enmity, animosity. I had a lot of friends before I was a Christian. But the moment I became a Christian, that attitude changed. Now, I'm, I'm no longer cursing and swearing. My language has changed. My attitude has changed. The Lord's put a love in my heart for people. But they, they're the ones. They can't get at Jesus. They can't get at God. So they mock you and they mock me and they say things about us and do things against us. That's to be expected. As our Lord could say, if they love me, they'll love you. If they hate me, they'll hate you. As the Apostle John said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should become the children of God. Therefore, 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 the world knoweth us not. Why? Because it knew him not. It's their ignorance of Jesus, their ignorance of God. That's in the background of all this hate and this opposition and this sinfulness against the Savior. Their ignorance of God. You see, if you only knew the Savior, if you only knew the heart of God as it is, friend, you wouldn't do what these men did. They took him and they blindfolded him and they mocked him and they scoffed him, they scorned him and they smote him. Think of it. What had he done to deserve that? Our Lord said, For what works are you going to stone me? They said, Not for works, but because of what you claim to be. You see, the very presence of the Savior brought to these religious leaders the awfulness of their sinfulness. And Satan had blinded the minds of those who believe not. I tell you again, unbelief is a terrible thing. It would even kill the Son of God. Now let's look at this again. In verse 66 to the end of the chapter, we have our Lord before the Jewish leaders. Now this is the religious court. And let me get this thing very, very clear in your mind. 
as we read it and take it up. Before the Jewish court, the religious court, the question is not his character. The question are his claims. The issue are the claims that Jesus has made. And the issue was very, very, very clear. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. Why? You've already made your minds up. Your minds are already made up what you're going to do to me. And whatever I say, you're not going to believe. See, they were full of unbelief. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. We've come to the end. Our Lord is virtually saying, it's too late. You men have closed your hearts to me, the Son of God. You've rejected all my claims. You've spent all the credentials which I have revealed to you. And by the way, there, there's no excuse. When the Lord healed the lepers, what did he say? You go and show yourself to the priest and do what Moses commanded for lepers who were cleansed. In other words, you go and show yourself to the priest and tell him by your action, Messiah is here. There's no question about his works. There's no, they never challenged his works, except to say when he cast demons out, they said, you're from hell. You cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. But you see, they had come to a, to a conclusion. They've already made their decision. And it made no difference what he said or what he claimed. Their decision had been made. There's nothing left but crucifixion. But they've got to have, they've got to rationalize their unbelief. They've got to rationalize their enmity and their hate. They've got to rationalize their decision to kill him. So what do they say? Are you the Christ? Tell us. He said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. Your minds are made up. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor will you let me go. Your decision's been made. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, You say that I am. And they said, What further do we need of witnesses? We have ourselves have heard of his own mouth. Now let me get this clear. The issue is not his works. The issue is not his character. The issue with the religious leaders are his claims to deity. Now notice our Lord really quotes from the 110th Psalm. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies the footstool of your feet. Do you remember that? In the 110th Psalm. And Jesus said, Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Jesus says, I'm going to be having the one who has all authority in heaven and in earth. You remember in the book of Hebrews, four times we read, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Somebody was asking me the other day at a conference, uh, why does he say the right hand and not the left hand? Well, friend, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idiom which means that all authority is his. When our Savior walked the earth, the Father was in the place of authority, and the Son was in perfect submission to the will of his Father. I do always the things that please him. 
Now the Son has taken the place of preeminence, as Colossians chapter 1 says, that, that God has given unto him the place of preeminence, that in all things he might be preeminent. And after resurrection, the Lord Jesus could say in Matthew 28, All authority is mine in heaven and in earth. Go ye and disciple all nations. He has all authority. And when they said to him, Tell us, art thou the Christ? You've made your minds up not to believe me. So, I'll tell you what. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Now mark their answer, their statement. They said, Art thou then the Son of God? For to claim, verse 69, that he's a Son of Man sitting on the right hand of God, their, their answer is, their question is rather, Are you the Son of God? Only the Son of God can sit there. Only the Son of God can have all authority. And he says, That's right. That's right. You say that I am. And they said, What further need have we of witnesses? If I may quote from the book of Matthew 26, you remember the high priest said, I adjure thee by the living God, tell us, art thou the Christ, the Son of the living God? Art thou the Christ, the Son of God? He said, yes, but you also see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, having power and great glory. See, friend, what Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfiller of Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 14. Now, when Jesus made that statement, there's no question what he's claiming. He's claiming absolutely that he is the Son of God. The person of Christ both divides and unites. It separates the believers from the world, but it also unites those who are in opposition to Christ. Now, we had that over in verse 53. This is your hour and the power of darkness. When we come to the next chapter, it unites the Jewish leaders with the Gentile rulers. It unites Herod and Pilate. Again, I come to this thing. Jesus Christ is the difference between life and death between righteousness and darkness. And in this passage, when they beheld Jesus and they mocked him, scorned him, smote him on the cheek, prophesied, and so forth, he, he never said a word. You see, again I say, when our Lord left the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in absolute control. He was at perfect peace. He knew that the Father was confident that he would perform that he would finish the job he came to do. And all the way through, I want you to mark this, all the way through, the dignity, the peace that the Savior manifested before his enemies. They're the ones who are, shall I say, blow up, not he. And if I turn from the one who claims to be the Son of God, the one who's going to come in the clouds of heaven, the one who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, if I turn my back on him, my friend, then I join myself to the priests of Christ's day. I join myself to Caiaphas and to Herod and to Pilate and to the powers of darkness. 
Well, you see, Mr. Mitchell, you're making it kind of hard, aren't you? No, I'm just being realistic about it. I'm just telling you the truth. And the issue, and again I say the issue then before the religious leaders is Jesus, the Son of God. Is he God manifest in the flesh? And Jesus said, I am. And I'm the fulfiller of all your Old Testament scriptures concerning the deity of the Son of God. And by the way, that's the issue now. That's the issue now. In religious circles, in our seminaries, in our colleges, in our schools, in our courts, the issue is, is Jesus of Nazareth, God manifest in the flesh. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior of sinners? Or is he just a man who was deluded? A man who lived ahead of his time? You know, I get quite a bit of mail, and I, I'm so thankful for it because it begins, I begin to realize the problems of men and women. As one wrote and said, you know, a friend of mine says, why should I believe the Bible? Why should I believe in Jesus? He lived way back there 1,900 years ago. That's true. And the intimation is we don't need Jesus today. We don't need the Bible today. My friend, let me tell you this very frankly. If ever the world needed a Savior, it's now. If ever the world needed God's communication to man, which is given to us in the Word of God, it's now. I repeat my statement. It's the ignorance of God that causes people to do what they do. Shall we continue being ignorant? A person can have all the degrees after their name. They can be intellectual giants and be absolutely ignorant of God, absolutely ignorant of the person of the Savior. They can turn their backs on the Lord of glory and say with the Jews of his day, we will not have this man to reign over us. But friend, whether you like it or whether you don't like it, the issue is still Jesus Christ. And he's either your savior or he's going to be your judge. You say, well, Dr. Mitchell, I, I don't believe that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. God raised him from the dead to be a prince and a savior to those who accept him. And being raised from the dead is the guarantee of judgment to those who reject him. And the difference between eternal heavens and eternal glory and eternal night and death is Jesus Christ and your relationship to him. And I plead with you, my friend, don't stand with these Jews who mocked and scoffed him and rejected him and made their decision. I want no more of this Jesus. Take him out and crucify him. Are you going to stand with that crowd? Or are you going to stand with the millions who have accepted the Savior, whose lives have been transformed, who have enjoyed a peace that's beyond the understanding of men? And you can have that today. And, he, and I might I, and being the Son of God, who's alive at God's right hand, he's still saying to you, if you have never accepted him, come unto me, I'll give you rest. And he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So why not accept him today? Pass from death to life. Come ye sinners, lost and hopeless, Jesus' blood can make you free. For he saved the worst among you when he saved.
wretch like me. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary, life begins at Calvary.